All right. That would work. That would help. Um, awesome. Well, I'm glad you guys had a Merry Christmas. Um, I um, Saturday, Jalen and I got together, and we kind of talked about the year, um, what went on in the year, and then also some, like, goals and dreaming for the new year. And as I just – as we started talking about what happened – this year, I was like, wow, there's a lot that happened this year. <laughs> I don't know, did anyone else, like, you feel like this year was just, like, a lot happened? Yeah. Lots of good stuff. And I was just like, ah, oh, this is so good. And then I was just looking around the room and worship and thinking about the testimonies that God has done in this house, and the miracles, and the salvations, and the restorations of families, the healings, and just, ah, it's amazing. And, you know, in the Old Testament, it says that they would create memorials, these stones of testimonies. And, and I was just thinking, you know, I was, as I was thinking and recounting the testimonies of what God had done, I was like just picturing all these stones, you know. And, and as I was picturing it, I could just feel this sense of like, as these stones were laid out, it's like, Wow. Sometimes I just see a stone, but as the stones start to pile up, I'm like, God, you're actually building something. And, uh, and I was just thinking about this year, and, and I really feel like, and in, in praying into this message, and I felt like God was saying, as a church, it's like, church, you have your Isaac. You have your Isaac, but now I'm calling you to be a father of many nations. And so I was like, I don't know what that means. Um, God, so that's cool. Sounds good. Sounds big. Sounds awesome. What the heck does that mean? And uh, I also, like, with the stone analogy, like, as I'm making a message, a lot of times I have no idea what I'm doing. And so I feel like I get a stone here, I get a stone there, and I'm like, it's like, you know, you have a puzzle and you're like, you're looking at your puzzle pieces and you're like, what the heck? This is supposed to create something. And as I just start to, like, God lays out the stones, and I just kind of like, well, and it's like he puts it together, and I'm like, wow. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I just feel so ignorant to what God's doing. Like, like God's, like, right in front of your face sometimes, and it's not until you get on the other side of what he's doing that you're like, gosh, I'm an idiot. Like, how did I miss that? Like, that was right in front of my face the whole time. And um, I feel like... With this year, I feel like God has built and done so many amazing things. But I feel like we have our Isaac, but God is actually calling us to something greater and beyond what we could ever imagine. And so as I started to, to kind of look over the life of Abraham and figure out what the heck that meant, um, God just started to speak to me. And with Abraham... He was 75 years old, okay? And God speaks to him and he says, Hey, I've called you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you and I'm going to make your descendants, um, you know, beyond the stars of the sky. And here Abraham is and he's like, probably like many of us would do. And like, we have no idea what that means. We're like, okay, that's awesome, God. Like, yay, God. Um, and yet, you know, at the time, Abraham didn't have any kids, wasn't, probably didn't even have that in his mind because he had tried for so long and it was just a dream that had died in his heart. And 
what I believe probably Abraham was thinking was he was thinking, okay, you're going to bless my relatives, and then we're going to be a blessed nation and a blessed people group. And so Abraham's like, yay, that's going to be awesome. And it's later in, in Genesis 15 that God actually says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And in Genesis 15, it says that Abraham believed God. And everyone say, believe God. believe God. And it was accounted to him as, righteous, as righteousness. And so here in Genesis 15, Abraham believes God, okay? And he believes God, and then God has this crazy encounter with Abraham to actually, you know, how many times we get a word and we're like, yes, God, I have no idea what that's going to happen. And then he works on us to actually build up our faith to actually receive what he says. And so it says Abraham believed God, but yet he was still on a process of believing God. And so what God actually does is he leads Abraham to get these animals and split them in two and make a row of two sides of animals. Uh, doves, rams, all these things. And, and back then, the way they used to do things is they would create covenants with other kings. And essentially what they would say is they would state their, their oath to the king that they were making, and then they would walk through these rows of animals that were cut in half, and basically the gist of it was, this will be me if I don't follow through on my end of the deal, cut in two. And so God leads Abraham to slaughter these animals, set them up in a row, and instead of, it, it would usually be the lesser king who would walk through first, creating the covenant, and with Abraham, God actually promises him to be to have a son and to have descend, descendants as numerous as the stars. And then instead of Abraham walking through, who would be the lesser of the men, obviously, God and Abraham. And instead of Abraham walking through, God walks through. Which is so powerful. Because here God is saying, I'm going to be the lesser one. And I'm going to fulfill this covenant. And here Abraham doesn't even walk through the animals because God was saying, hey, this promise that I promise you isn't going to come through because of you. It's going to come through because of me. And so God walks through and you would think that Abraham would be convinced. Yeah? But if we know the rest of the story, at age 86, 75, God promised him this promise, and then at 86, Sarah, his wife at the time, convinces Abraham to go ahead and get jiggy with one of his maidservants to produce the promise. And so, Abraham gets with his servant, Hagar, and has Ishmael. And so here's Abraham and Sarah trying to go outside of covenant, their marriage, to try and fulfill the promise of God. And so here God is saying, hey, my promise is going to come through my covenant and I'm going to fulfill it. And here Abraham is, is like he's like getting to 86, it's like 76, 77, he's starting to get older, older, and he's like, ah, this promise isn't going to come through, so I'm going to step out of covenant 
to fulfill the promise that God has. Maybe God will be sleeping while I'm, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so here Abraham has Ishmael, but that wasn't the promised one. And so God's response is so kind to, to Abraham. And, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 17. It says, this is the Lord's response to Abraham after this. It says, Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham, Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you will be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make, you, I will make nations of you. And kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between you, uh, between me and you and your descendants after throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant." to be God to you and to your descendants after you. It goes on and it says, um, um, I can't find where I'm trying to go. So once God basically promises this to them, it says, Then God said to Abram, for, As for Sarah your wife, she shall not be called Sarai, but she shall be called Sarah, uh, shall be your name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. King of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed <laughs> and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham s said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So, I'll stop there. Um, <laughs> I love the faithfulness of God. <laughs> I love the fact that, um, you know, the people who were faithful in the Bible, it wasn't because they were necessarily faithful, it was because God was faithful. <laughs> and in their own strength, a lot of times they tried to produce the promises, but it wasn't until they realized that they had no ability to produce the promises that they relied on God and God's faithfulness came through. And so the rest of the story as we know it is Abraham has a son at 100 years old and his name was Isaac. And from that place, God asked Abraham to do the hardest thing that I could ever imagine. But by this time, Abraham has actually developed a history with God. And he's realized that God is actually faithful and true to what he says. And when he promised him a son at 100 years old, Abraham had a son from Sarah. And so because he had developed a history with God, he all of a sudden knew that God was good. And when God had asked him to give up his son to the Lord, Abraham had such a revelation of the goodness of God that his response was this. For I even know that if I give my son to God, he is able to raise him up from the dead. And I realized that at actually 
the greatest people who give the greatest sacrifices have the greatest revelation of the goodness of God. Because they know when they give to God, they're not giving out of lack, they're giving from God. Because who gave Abraham Isaac? God did. And if we don't give from God, then we'll, we'll give out of, I, I shared this one time, if we don't give from God, we're giving out of religion and from our own works. But God has only called us to give Him what He's already given us. And when we realize that God has given us everything, all of a sudden we can give Him everything. But if we don't think God has already given us anything, then we're giving from ourselves and then we're holding a grudge against God. And so here Abraham is, and he said, Okay, I trust you, God. I know that you're good. Here's my one and only son. As he's about to... God says, wait, I've already prepared a sacrifice. And there's a ram in the bush, and then Abraham offers that up to God. And from that place, God declares, I will make you a father of many nations. You see, when we trust God and put what he's given us into his hands, all of a sudden there's no end to what he will bless. But if we hold on to what God has given us, all of a sudden our blessing stops because it's in our hands. But when we give it to him, all of a sudden he's like, what can I not give to you? <laughs> what won't I bless because it's in my hands? And so from that place, Abraham became a father of many nations and was known as the father of faith. And as I look at this, at Abraham, and I look at the people of faith, one thing that I feel like I, I see over and over again is people who are called to such great callings and such great uh, promises of God, they all had something in common. They realized that they actually had no ability to perform what God had actually called them to do. And many of them actually tried to do what God had called them to do, and they realized they didn't have the ability. And so last week I shared about Peter. Peter was, was called to be the rock in which God would build his church upon. And so here Peter is, and Peter's the jealous one, or the zealous one. He's the one who's all fired up. He's the one who's like got all the answers. Like he's just like, go get him, you know? And <clears throat> here Peter is, and as I shared a couple weeks ago, um, you know, Jesus is, is sharing with his disciples. He's about to break covenant with them. And Jesus declares that, you know, um, one, Judas is going to leave him. And then two, Peter's like, well, Jesus, I'd never, I'd never forsake you. Never in a million years. I'm Peter. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're going to forsake me three times after the rooster crows. And here's Peter. I could just see him like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And so, sure enough, Jesus, now I want, I want you to see a correlation here. Abraham was called to have a son, yeah? What happens? God makes covenant with him, yeah? What does Abraham do? Royally mess up, okay? Peter, you're the rock. You're gonna, I'm going to build my church upon you. Peter, you're going to forsake me three times, but let's have covenant. Covenant. All of a sudden, here's Peter in the garden. Mr. I will never forsake you, chops off a dude's ear. Whoosh, see, Jesus, I chopped off his ear for you. <laughs> Mr. Zealous. And then all of a sudden, what happens? 
The rooster crows three times. Peter's forsaken him. Jesus shows up to him. We went over this last time. And Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? Or, yeah, Peter, do you phileo? Or I think he said agape. Now I'm getting them all mixed up. Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, I phileo you. Peter, do you agape me? Yes, I phileo you. Peter, do you phileo me? Yes, I phileo you. What was he saying? Agape is the unconditional love of God. Phileo is brotherly love. It's like the like strength. Like, I will love you with my strength. And, and here Peter was, and he found himself not able to love God fully to unconditional love. He could only love God with his own strength and his own ability. And it wasn't until he realized, I can't love you with my own ability. I can only love you with with you living inside of me and me giving you your love that you've given me. It wasn't until Peter realized that, that Peter stepped into his calling. And so, and then we talked about David last week, you know, how he was supposed to bring in the Ark of the Covenant. And the first time he brings in the Ark of the Covenant, if you weren't here David was trying to, his one mission, his one plan, his one strategy to see, like it was his inauguration of his presidency. He comes in, he says, we're bringing back the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the the presence of God into Israel. And so David is all pumped up, he's all fired up, and he gets these two guys, one named Ohio and the other named uh, Uzzah. And both of them represent brotherly strength. And so they get the ark, and they're carrying it, and one of them slips, the other one tries to grab it, and they die. And David's like, what the heck? God, here I'm trying to do what you've called me to do, and all of a sudden, my, man, my man's dead, you know? And, and David's like, what is going on? And so all of a sudden, it's like David gets this revelation, and he realizes, wait, and, and this is the point that I made last week, it's not through our strength, it's not through our abilities that we bring in the presence of God, it's actually through, one, our weakness, and two, our worship that we bring in the presence of God. And sometimes we gather around giftings, abilities, and we think we're going to grow a church, or we're going to grow the kingdom based upon all of these strengths and all of these giftings, but God hasn't called us, it doesn't say, by might, by strength, He says, Not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit. And sometimes we try and gather strengths and abilities and we try and do what God has called us to do by our own abilities, our own strengths, but it's only when we realize that we don't have the ability, we don't have the strengths, but all we have is Him and we come and we say, here we are, God, and all of a sudden, that's when He comes. And so David comes up with this revelation, all right, it's not going to be through brotherly strength we're going to bring in the presence. It's going to be through the Levites who represent one thing, ministry unto God. Through worship, we're going to bring back the presence of God. And so they bring in the presence of God, and that's where David gets jiggy with it. He's like dancing, and I could just imagine David. Like he's bringing in the ark. He's probably really nervous because every time they bring in this box, something bad happens. So he's probably like doing this number, like looking back, like, Hey, like, no one's dead. And he's worshiping. And all of a sudden, like, worship just consumes him. And he's, like, ripping off his clothes. And everybody else is offended. He looks like an idiot as a king. Because here he is, 
throwing off his clothes, dancing like a wild man, and the Lord was so pleased. And his wife was not. <laughs> and so, <clears throat> what David was, was a man after God's heart, who said, you know what, God? It's not about my abilities, it's not my strength, but it is all about me giving myself fully to you. And so, <clears throat> what does this all have to do? I feel like God has us on a theme. And I, I feel like the reason he has us on a theme, and I keep harping this, not intentionally, but I really feel like sometimes we're trying to be, bring our own abilities and we're trying to produce what God has called us to do. We're trying, he, we, have, we see the promise, and, and we're like, okay, I see the promise, now what can I do to make the promise happen? And where we get out of whack is we try and fulfill the promise on our own ability, in our own ability. And so we try and tally up the things that we're able to do, and we start doing them. But what I would like to say is it's not about our abilities. Actually, these people who did wonderful things, the father of faith, all realized that it's him who fulfills the covenant. And when they tried to fulfill the covenant on their own, you, you realize Jesus was the only one who walked through the animals. Right before Peter was going to betray him, three times Jesus makes covenant with him. Do we think that was on purpose? I think it was. Because Jesus was trying to show them, God was trying to show them, listen, it's not about your faithfulness. It's about my faithfulness. It's not about your ability. It's about my ability. And when I partner with your ability, all of a sudden I have everything that I need to step into your promise. And so once these people realized it, all of a sudden their confidence was in God. And I feel like God is, is stepping us in to a new thing, and it's something that we've never seen before. And in order to step into this, our posture, I believe, to receive the promises are this, is I believe, one, it comes through worship. Because one, worship takes our focus off of us, takes our focus off of introspection, insecurities, and puts our focus upon Him. And as we boast in Him, all of a sudden, we have confidence in Him. And it's just like David fulfilled the promise when he got his eyes off of his own plans, his own strategy, and said, God, I know you have whatever, I know you have and I know what you have in store for us, and I am fully trusting in you. And then I feel like another way that we're supposed to position ourselves for the promises is in prayer. And I am like, I need to work on my prayer life. I'll just be honest. <laughs> I'm more of just like a, a goer, like just do it and go, you know. But I feel like, you know, it says those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strengths. And when the disciples utterly thought life was failing, when their Savior, whom they thought 
they were going to be like the right-hand man to go take over the Roman government, and they were going to be like the disciples with, you know, they were going to be the main dudes, and, and they all had their positional positions outlined and where they would sit before Jesus as they took over the whole empire. <laughs> when there Jesus died, who they thought was going to take over the Roman government, all of a sudden they were heartbroken, you know? Their dreams died, everything died, and they thought life was over. Now, obviously, Jesus visited them, and he says, guys, you need to do one thing. You need to go wait and pray for the promised one, the Holy Spirit. And there's just something about prayer where all of a sudden we're not in control, but we actually yield to him, and we start praying and declaring what he has already said. And as we pray and declare what he says, all of a sudden, his wind comes and breathes upon it. And all of a sudden, we have the power and the strength to go and do what he said. And it also positions us to realize we don't have what it takes to bring about what he wants. He does. <laughs> and as we worship and as we praise him, all of a sudden, and pray to him, all of a sudden, our confidence shifts from us and our abilities and our strengths to him, and then we start to move into the promises that he has for us. And so, <clears throat> as I started to pray into God, what does it look like? You said that we have our Isaac, but It's time for us to be a father of many nations. As I prayed into that, I, I felt like, because part of, of, of receiving the promises is actually declaring and remembering what God has, says, has said. And so, that note go. And so I felt like I wanted to grab the word that we got from Bob Hazlitt, which was, I don't even know, when was that? March 31st, 2019. Good job, Sarah. <laughs> And as I started to read this, I realized what our Isaac is and what God is calling us to. So I want you guys to listen to this. This was a prophetic word that we got from a guy who did not know anything of what we were doing in Albuquerque um, on March 31st. All right. So this is just part of the word. But... Um, I see the Lord preparing a whole, almost not a marketing plan, but I'm starting in the hat. Maybe I should back up. So Lord, I just pray, and I feel like there is even something coming with a restructuring, rebranding, and a launching of something like that was on a foundational level, level that you guys had like a soft launch, but there's an actual hard launch. So this is referring, at this time we were meeting at our house church, okay? And, and just to give you guys a little backdrop, we didn't even like consider ourselves really a church. We were just like, let's come together and go after Jesus. And then that just kind of developed into something. And here we are as a house church just going strong after Jesus. And then we get this prophetic word. And I might need to back up a little bit. But I want you guys to hear this. Okay, I'll start there. So, Lord, I just pray and feel there is even something like with a restructuring, a rebranding, and a launching of something like that was on a foundational level. That you guys had like a soft launch, 
but there is an actual hard launch that will take place with the church. It was like it started organically, but it has not it but it has to be launched intentionally. And what you do, I see the Lord preparing a whole almost not a marketing plan, but when you have a baby, you name that baby and you have a baby shower uh, and you have a shower for the baby, clothes for that baby, and you build a nursery for that baby. And it's basically staging the atmosphere in which that baby is birthed into. And I feel like the Lord is going to start as, uh, to start to stage the atmosphere in which he can birth a church publicly that has almost like been in the womb way too long. So it's time to get the baby out and it is time to build the nursery and put the name on it and put the ads in the paper and do the marketing. The stuff that you never wanted to do because you didn't want to be one of those churches that was just built it out of a marketing campaign. But it is, but it is not. It is a family. So use family language. You're building a nursery. You are naming a baby. You're having a baby shower and you're inviting a whole bunch of people to come along for the birth of the baby. And there's a lot of people that are going to celebrate this birth. I feel like there is almost going to be, uh, to come almost like literally a relaunch. But it's public acknowledgement of what God has already been doing in private. And to go on... Um, God is giving you all the pieces that you need to bring the house into the public arena that God wants to build in the city. It is not going. It is not just a house church. It is a city church. God, I thank you that it is not just a house church, but it's a city church. Bless the city through the church in Jesus' name. All right. Sorry, that probably sounded like a bunch of broken up English, but <laughs> I think it was like, yeah, there wasn't a backstory. But I want to. I want to paint this picture for you guys. So when I, when I heard the Lord say, you have Isaac, but it's time to be a father of many nations. What I feel like he's saying is, is first off, if you know, we had to have this word because I don't know if you guys know this, but honestly, we didn't want a church building. I'll just be honest. <laughs> we really, the goal was just to go after Jesus and and we're like, we just want to go after Jesus. You know, we don't have to put a name to it. We don't have to, we'll just say going after Jesus, you know, like, because <laughs> that was just where we were at. But all of a sudden, we get this word, and Bob's like, it's not what you want, it's what God wants. And God's saying, he's taking you out of the house into a building, but this building isn't just a building, it's actually supposed to be a house that blesses the city. And so we had to have that word because we're like, we'll just stay where we're at. And God's like, no, you're not. I'm taking you here. And so what does this have to do with everything? Well, one, I realize in order to step into the God's promises, first you have to realize it's not your promise, it's his promise. And for Abraham, I don't know if you guys know this, but Abraham didn't actually have a child on his mind. This church didn't have a church on mine. <laughs> And sometimes we get a promise and God moves on our heart and we make it our promise, which is good. We should make it our promise, but we have to realize that he was the one who birthed the promise within us. 
Because if we don't realize He birthed the promise in us, we think it's our idea. So then when it's not coming to pass, we're like, what the heck, God? And God's like, I'm the one who came up with this idea. And so all of a sudden he says, you're not going to be a house church. I'm moving you into a building. It's still going to be the same culture and it's going to be a family. And I feel like we've moved into the building and it's family. But I feel like it's actually God is growing us up. And I love what I, I say with, you know, I did youth ministry and, and you get the kids to the church by the blob and the good food and everything and they want to go to church. But the goal is... They don't, you know, the blob never changes anybody's life, you know. No one goes off the blob and, like, comes out a new man. <laughs> it just doesn't work. But you get kids to the blob. You get kids to the church through the blob. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, I want to go do all this fun stuff. And then, especially if they don't know God, and they go and do this fun stuff, but then they encounter Jesus. And a lot of times what Jesus does to us is he... He gets us out, you know, Jesus shows up to the fishermen who are just fishing and Jesus shows them how to fish and they catch all this fish and then they're like, have like, they have all his attention. They're like, yes, Jesus. And he meets them in the boat and then he says, but I've called you to be fishers of men. What am I saying? God meets us in our boat and then he calls us to step out of the water. God meets Abraham. Hey, I'm going to give you a son. But this son is unto becoming a father of many nations. For us, God has called us. We're like, oh, we don't want to move. You met us in the, the house church. He's like, yeah, but I want you out of the house. He moves us into the building. And now I feel like what he's saying is, I don't want you just to gather here. I want you to father nations. In other words, it's time to grow up. And what does growing up look like? It looks like, God is taking us from glory to glory and every step along the way we have to stand firm on his promises and what he said and realize that we have no ability to produce what he said but we know he said it and all of a sudden we worship we declare what he says and we start to believe in what he says and then all of a sudden the promise comes forth and all along the step of the way of the progression as we advance from glory to glory we have to give him what he gives us when we get Isaac, we give him back Isaac. When we meet in a house church, we give him the house church. When we meet in a building, we give him the building. When we go out and become a father and to our city, we give him our city. And as we advance from glory to glory, the one thing we must continue to do is give him everything. And if you don't want to move, like, oh, we don't want to move out of the house, all of a sudden, God, it's your heart, it's your house, we give it to you. All of a sudden, because we gave it to him, now we have a heart for the building. And now we must, the goal isn't, isn't to stay in the building, the goal is to give him everything. And when we give him everything, all of a sudden we find ourselves in places that we could have never imagined, that we're totally unqualified for, and we find ourselves with God. And we find ourselves with His promises. And we find ourselves full of confidence that He can only do what He has promised. And then we start to see 
things that we thought we could have never imagined. Think about Abraham. Could never have thought he would have had a son. First, he was like having trouble to think that his descendants could be blessed. Then he had trouble to believe that he could actually bear a son. Then he had really big trouble with him and even laughed at God having a son from Sarah. And then all of a sudden, he finds himself offering up Isaac after having Isaac. And then he finds himself a father of many nations. And with us, I believe everyone in this house has such great faith. I believe we have such great faith. But even the father of faith realized, God, I don't know if I fully have the faith for this one. And the goal is when we don't have the faith and we can't find the faith to believe what he says, we start to remember what he's done. We start to worship him for who he is. And we start to declare what he says. And as we do, all of a sudden we find ourselves with confidence to believe what he said he will do. And what I want to say is, 2020, I believe, is putting Isaac on the altar and saying, Jesus, do whatever you want to do with it. Whatever you want to do with this body, do what you want to do with it. And I believe it's unto being a father to our city. Being a father to Las Cruces, what does it look like to love Las Cruces so much so that, I mean, a city is transformed? If you're saying, I don't have the faith for that, what's he said? What has he said? He said that it is not just a house church, it is a city church. God, I thank you that it is not just a house church, but it is a city church. Bless the city through this church, in Jesus' name. I'll end on this. I remember... God had called me to go to Bethel, and and some of you guys might have heard this story. I always had a dream of building this, I still do, uh, of having this powered parachute. And what a powered parachute is like this flying aircraft that has like a propeller on the back that basically ignites all this wind, and it inflates this parachute so that you can fly. Okay? My dream, you can have your own, you know, so don't make fun of me. So anyways, that was my dream, and I was like, oh. So God starts speaking to me because I was in community college not liking my life in Dallas. I just didn't feel passionate about it, but I felt like, honestly, I was just doing what the expectation was. You go get out of high school, then you go to college, and then you do the good American dream. But that wasn't what God's dream was for me. And so all of a sudden, God started speaking to me through my dreams, and, and I, he just starts saying, Michael, you have my dreams, you have my heart, follow your dreams, follow your heart. And so um, I had a dream to go to Bethel at the time, but none of it seemed practical. And I had this dream where I was flying this powered parachute to Reading, and I woke up, and Jesus said, follow your dreams, follow your heart. You have my dreams, you have my heart. And so I woke up, and then I opened up my Bible and it was like in Genesis where Abraham's in Bethel and angels are descending and ascending. I I totally forgot about the dream. And then when I read it, I remembered the dream and then God spoke to me again. And then I saw like a powered parachute flying over my house. And long story short, 
you guys are trying to follow my wild dreams and thinking I'm crazy, but long story short, the first day I go to school, one of these powered parachutes that I hadn't seen since that other day that the Lord spoke to me was launching on the first day of school from my school building. And God was just kept speaking to me. And so all of a sudden, I feel God, Jayla and I got married. We felt called to live and go to Tier C. And God had spoken to us. And, you know, I see powered parachutes in, in Tier C because these signs shall follow those who have this dream. So I saw them. And, and I was like, yes, Lord. And so um, here I am in Tier C. And I'm just like praying, like, God, what am I doing here? And it just was like, one of those things where you're just, you go from a culture that's just like, you know, Reading, Bethel, and then all of a sudden you're out in the desert and you're just praying, Jesus, what am I doing here? And, and you start to see God do awesome things, but at the same time you're like, oh, I had so much good friends and community and all this stuff, and now I'm here in the desert, and God, what are you doing? And then, so I'm just praying, and all of a sudden God was just like totally doing amazing stuff in me. And all of a sudden, I started to see, I started to see 747 on my, on my, uh, on my watch, like 757, like all the time. And I'm like, what is 747? What is 757? Like everywhere I'd see, and then I'd get changed. That was 757, 747. Yes, I'm weird. And uh, hopefully you guys are weird too. Um, so this makes sense. But I was seeing these numbers. And then all of a sudden, I, I remembered like there's a 747 jet and a 757 jet. And my dream was to be a pilot growing up, and all of us, and that dream had died um, through a lot of weird stuff that went on. I'm trying to make this fast. And so anyways, I realized, okay, those are jets, and I felt like, I was like, okay, maybe it means like bigger dreams, you know what I mean? Because I had the powered parachute, which is a small little aircraft, and now it's a 747 or a 757. And the Lord spoke to me, and he says, Michael, you know why I'm showing you these numbers? I was like, Please tell me. Um, <laughs> and a powered parachute, you can only want, carry one person. But a 747, a 757, those are big aircrafts. He's like, Michael, I'm calling you not to just follow your dreams, but to lead people to follow me to pursue my dreams in my heart. And all of a sudden, this father message hit me. And I realized, you know what? When we're a child, when you're a child, it's all about you, right? You know, any of us would stop what we had to do if a child needed something over there, yeah? But as you grow up, the goal of a child is to eventually become a father who looks after and has sons and daughters, yeah? And because that's what legacy is. And so with that, you know, when, when God met Peter in the boat and the disciples in the boat, he met them as fishermen, but he called them to become fishers of men. And then all of a sudden, God brings them through this crazy journey of them seeing miracles and showing them, hey, this is who I am. But all of a sudden, they're reached a point where God says, hey, you're going to go places and do things that you said that you didn't think you would ever do, but I'm leading you. And my point is, is, when we come to the faith, God meets us where we're at, but all of a sudden he calls us to a place where we don't know where we're going. Abraham was led to a place that he, he's like, God's like, he's like, just go where I tell you. 
And, and my point is, is God meets us where, he, where we're at, but then he brings us to where he wants us to be. And it's not only to fulfill our dreams, but it's to fulfill his dreams. And what he's placed in our heart is actually his dreams and his promises to see his heart and his will come forth on this earth. And one of the deepest desires of God is this, is that we would disciple nations. And I'll just tell you, I've watched a little bit of kids, not that much, not as much as my wife, but it's hard work. <laughs> when you have 20 kids and they're just like, nah! and then they're screaming and you don't know what they want. But what I'm saying is, it doesn't become about you anymore. It becomes about taking care of the children and creating legacy. And what I'm saying with that is God's heart is that we would step into a place where it's no longer about us, but it's about what he wants. And when you say yes to that, all of a sudden he gives you the heart to do it. And he gives you the ability to do it. And I feel like he's saying, listen, 2020 is going to be beautiful, but it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take sacrifice, and it's going to take some being uncomfortable. Because where he's bringing, to, bringing us to is a place far beyond what we could think or imagine. And as we say yes, you know, Abraham said yes in Genesis 15, but he still had a journey of actually believing God. But my heart for us, as the new year begins, is that we would say yes. Whatever he has, we would say yes. And with that yes, he'll actually bring us into the fullness of what is in his heart and is actually in, in our heart as we say yes. And I just feel like you might have came in by the blob, but <laughs> this is my analogy. Hopefully you guys are getting in it. Does no one know what a blob is? It's because you guys didn't go to church camp. Gosh, you got saved way too late in life. No one knows. How many of you guys, raise your hand if you know the blob. All right. So the blob is like this big floating instrument that sits on a lake. And then there's this huge, yeah, giant balloon that looks like a burrito laying on a lake. <laughs> and one person sits on the end of it and another person jumps off a high dive onto the blob and all the air goes to the end and shoots the person up. Revelation. <laughs> Dropping. <laughs> so what I mean by... <laughs> you got to explain these things, man. You guys... I, you guys make me feel old even though you guys are... <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> stop while you're ahead. Alright, so... Uh, what I'm saying is you might have come in as a child, but God's calling you to be a father. And father takes sacrifice, and father takes you putting things on the altar and saying yes to what he says so that he can actually make you a father of nations. So that whatever feels uncomfortable, 
all of a sudden you say yes, even when it feels uncomfortable, and he adds the strength and the ability to do what only he can do and fulfill the promises that he has over our lives as a church. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to pray. <clears throat> Jesus, I just thank you that you are positioning us <laughs> for <laughs> a wild ride. <laughs> and Father, right now, before, the, before we even go up the hill, we just say yes. <laughs> we are along for the ride. And God, we want to do whatever you say to do because we know that you're good. <laughs> and I pray right now that we would have a revelation so deep of your goodness that we would be willing to give you everything because everything we have is because you've given it to us. And so, Father, we say yes to you. We say yes to your goodness. We say yes to 2020 because we know you are doing something so far beyond what we can imagine that you're taking us out of the building into the city so that we can become a father of nations. And so, Father, do it. Do it in us. Do it in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.